Chain Ambassador Podcast. I'm your host, Bruno, helping you navigate the world of supply chain in a fun and engaging way. On today's podcast, I have with me someone interesting, someone who's lived a life in the Canadian Armed Forces, but made his way to the public service and is taking up a senior director position. Jelaine Sauvé was born, enrolled in the Canadian Armed Forces, graduated from university as a civil engineer, and was married in the previous century. In this century, he moved from the Armed Forces to the Public Service, taking up the position of Director General, Technical Services and Facilities Branch with the Correctional Services of Canada. During this period, he served in increasingly senior positions with the main focus on physical infrastructure whether maintenance, new construction, program management, and policy. Whilst a military member, he served on various operational deployments in Haiti, Bosnia-Herzegovina, Kosovo, Afghanistan, Iraq, and other sun-dry places. Wow, what a journey, what an exciting career you've had. Can you give us a bit more context on your journey to where you are currently? Oh, let's see what I can do here to follow up on that. So thank you very much for the kind introduction. So in the game forces, I was what we call now a construction engineer officer. So I was responsible for physical infrastructure and facilities. Now that's on our facilities in Canada, on our bases in Canada, but also on operational deployments, typically overseas. Now that meant two really different things and how that turned out, like in Canada, that meant you followed, as is the case, typically in infrastructure, a very deliberate approach for construction and plan maintenance, definition, the planning, the design, the implementation, the closure, you know, very step-by-step. Step. Whereas when you go overseas, you follow a version of that, but it's a lot, it's a lot quicker. It's a lot more urgent. There's a lot less sleep. So it's much, much more exciting. So did that a few times, obviously. In my career, I started off managing small projects and eventually I moved on to in rank and the responsibility. At one point, I was overseeing a whole base in terms of the infrastructure. So having to deal with all the stakeholders and their challenges and their requirements and a fairly large workforce. I had about 300 people who worked for me at the Canadian Forces Base Borden. So very important part of my development and eventually ending up a more senior role. I worked at the Army headquarters here in Ottawa, and I was advising the Army commander on his infrastructure wow. and steps that he may want to take or policy issues. Then I moved over, as you said, to public service. So I am the senior CSC, so Correctional Service of Canada executive with respect to facilities that are construction program, real property disposal, fire safety, sustainable development. In addition to all that, you can also throw in, I look after electronic security, inst correctional institutions. So we have cameras, we have all sorts of different devices in terms of electronic security. I also look after food services and support services. And right now, what I'm not sure I'd say it's consuming my time, although it's consuming a lot of my thoughts, is the transition to a hybrid work environment. That's probably the, the 
You know, I know it's a later question, but that's probably the biggest challenge I have right now in managing that transition. Oh, wow. If you don't mind me asking, what inspired you to make the move from the armed forces to the public service? A couple of things. It's a simple answer, I guess, in a sense, but it was just time. Yeah. I just felt I'd reached a point in the armed forces where I'd done what I wanted to do. And looking forward, it was like going to be, in essence, eh, more of the same. And I just didn't feel that I felt I had more to give, yeah, more to contribute, more challenges to undertake. And it was just time to move on and find another challenge, which I did find. And yes, I got plenty of challenges. Yeah, certainly. I'm sure Correction Service is very, very happy to have you on board. I know when I spoke with my previous podcast with the Creation of Services, boy, you guys cover a lot. Just like you mentioned, you have so many different programs, so many different offerings, and it's just like, oh, wow. What would you say you love about your work? Well, actually, you touched upon it right there, that Correctional service, many different components. Now, it's not just about locking up offenders. There's so much more than that. It's really about getting them ready to rejoin society. And there's so many different components. You're talking about indigenous offenders, aging offenders, mental health challenges, women offenders. There's so many different groups that you have to look after and try to do the best you can in terms of assisted rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. And virtually any of those components have an infrastructure portion to it. Now, it involves facilities. It involves either new construction or probably more often than not adjusting what you already have to better reflect their current needs. So pretty much anything that the correctional service has in terms of its challenges has an infrastructure component and we are involved in it. So we're always in the thick of it. The other aspect I love about the work, and it's a, it's a specific challenge, is that facilities have a very much a long-term component. And when you build, it's not for five years. Like it takes forever to build. Once you build it, it's going to be there a long time, decades, typically 50, 60, 100 years sometimes. You really have to think it through. You really have to think about what is it going to meet in terms of needs. What is it? It's going to meet needs now. It's going to meet needs later, decades from now. So you really have to think it through. There, there's no impetuousness in facilities. There's no improvisation. You really have to be deliberate and think it through. But that's another element that I really like that. Whatever I've done will live on a long time after I've, I'm gone, frankly. Are they for better or for worse? <laughs> <laughs> Are there any common misconceptions about what you do? Yes, definitely. And I can remember dealing with them when I was military and I deal with them still now. I guess simply put that somehow, as I mentioned, it, it's very deliberate, very, you know, it takes time and people come, people object to that and it frustrates people. And this belief that if we just throw more money at it and we just have more willpower, we can move it faster. You typically can't. Like if you're going to build something that's going to cost hundreds of millions of dollars and is intended to serve for decades, you can't rush it. You have to go through the process because if you try to rush it, you're probably going to end up with a bad result. You're probably going to forget things or you're going to have an escalation in cost. Something bad will happen. So you really have to knuckle down, grind it through to get the better result for all. And that frustrates people because especially when I was military, most people go to some place, they're there for three years, then they move on. And I think they were, you want to do something when you're there. And here I am, Mr. Fazili saying, yes, we're working on this and it'll be over. It'll be all built and done in four or five years. And they're thinking, but I'll be gone by then. That's the reality. It's really about long-term view and not worrying about the fact that I won't be here anymore. No, but you'll get it going. It's about moving the yardstick. You may not get to the end zone, but somebody else will, and they'll build on the work that you've done. Wow. So you kind of have a bit of a different mindset. Oh, geez. 
That's well, what challenges have you faced and how have you overcome them? A couple come to mind. So I'll go back to my military days, 2010, in fact. So in 2010, Canada was still involved in military operations in Afghanistan. And we had a base of support in the United Arab Emirates that was called Camp Mirage. And that base was very important to supporting operations in Afghanistan, flying in and out. So for various reasons, I guess there was a falling out between the Canadian government and the UAE government. And the UAE government said, essentially, you have 30 days to leave. You must pack up and leave. That was They exercised that in, I think it was mid, early to mid-October 2010. And I was a commanding officer at an engineering unit at the time. And I was basically told, you're going to UAE, you'll be in charge of the mission con- mission closure team, and you've got to make it happen. Wow. And it was, hey, it was quite interesting. It was quite exciting in the sense that I got my team together in Kingston. And then a day later, we're on an aircraft and we're flying out to the UAE. And I didn't really actually formulate a plan. I basically formulated a plan that we're going to develop a plan. Like essentially, <laughs> guys, we're going we're gonna to land there. You're going to have a couple of days to look in your different areas, whether it's communications or vehicles or facilities. You're going to have to look at all that. And within a couple of days, you're going to tell me how you're going to shut it all down within 30 days, pack everything, ship it out. You're going to have to figure that out. And essentially, that's what we did. So arrived, did that kind of planning. The rest of the group arrived a few days later. And it was like, we here we go. We now have our plan after a few days. Let's go. Let's start executing. So... In terms of overcoming, I just upon it there, teamwork, teamwork, teamwork. I know it's a cliche, but it's so vital. I couldn't have done it by myself. Not a chance. Needed all those different people in their areas of expertise. I needed to be able to tell them, you need to tell me what you need to do. And I'll make sure that it can be done and trusting them to do it and uh, helping remove obstacles as they encounter them and making the quick decisions to make sure that that would, that would happen. Another thing that I always remember, I don't say fondly, but I do remember is at one point I did have what I called a well-placed rant mm. where the people who were already on the camp, to my mind, were not moving here. They were like, okay, yes, we know we're going to have to go, but we know we've been here for a while and we still have other things to do. And during a senior meeting, I threw my teddy in the corner, as the Brits would say, and mm-hmm. said, we need to move here. We have only 20 days left or so, and things are not moving. And people need to take this seriously. Anyway, I had my rant and I was taken aside afterwards and said, I'm not sure you should have said that, but things moved. And I saw things really pick up after that. So it, in my sense, it was worth it. And as I said, trust. I can remember towards the end of that, really, the planning had been done. The execution was well underway. I really had, in a sense, not that much to do. And typically during my typical day was I'd get up, I'd deal with emails, I'd whatever administrative procedures or stuff needed to be looked at. Around coffee break, I'd walk around the camp and see how things were going. And I'd do the same thing later on in the day. And I can remember later in the late stages when we were really into crunch time. And I didn't really have that much to do anymore because we the planning had all been done and all that. I remember the urge of, oh, let's go walk around. And I said, no. You're going to make people nervous if you're walking around all the time. Just sit here. They know what they're doing. They got it under control. Do what you always do. Go at lunch at the coffee time and go a little later and things will be fine. And of course, things work. Things work. By within, I'd say, short of the 30 days, we'd done our job. Everything had been shipped out and we were done. And we flew out the whole team. So it went really well. It was a lot of hard work. But again, teamwork and trusting people, I think, was really important. Another quick one that I can think of, uh, dealing with 
very difficult defenders. It's, it's always been tough, like within the confines of an institution. And that's why we used to have what was called administrative segregation. And most people would call it solitary confinement. We don't call it that, but I understand why people call it that. And that's where you, you would deal with difficult individuals and put them there. Well, the courts ruled a few years ago, you can't do that anymore. That's unacceptable. So CSC created what's called structured intervention units, where it is a separate area, but it's there to treat the individuals, to get them back on track, to deal with their emotional or mental health or other issues and deal with those issues, settle it as best they can, and then they can go back into the general population. We had to create that almost out of whole cloth within a few months. A law that created was passed in mid-2019 and 30th of November, 2019. I still remember it had to get going. We had to set up these structured intervention units, 16 of them, and get it going. And of course, we had no time to build something new. It was basically, we have these areas in the Institute, we're going to adapt them and we're going to make changes and we're going to paint and add a room and do these changes as best we can to be ready to start at the end of November, 2019. And I can remember at times people were just like, it can't be done. It can't be done. And it's like everybody in my small portion of it on the infrastructure side, just calm down. You need to hold your nerve here. The pressure is not going to stop until November 30th. So just, let's just go with it. Some things we're not going to complete and the different institutions, they'll come up with mitigation measures. Oh, these rooms aren't complete. We'll use these ones instead. Oh, we're not going to have four exercise yards. We'll use two for now and we'll make sure that everybody gets their turn. Now, you just have to do the best you can and move as best you can and stay calm. Stay calm and carry on, as they say. You just have to do that sometimes. And sometimes that's really your job there to just tell people, take a breath. We're going to get through this. So let's move on. Wow. Jeez, fantastic. And then you also, I think you mentioned hybrid work too. That was a bit of a challenge for you. Oh, it's a, it's a huge challenge. Yeah. It's a huge challenge. So me and a colleague, she's with HR and I'm with facilities. So we're co-chairing this transition. And it's not worse, not anywhere complete. I can remember telling people, Churchill said in that one of those dark days of World War II and things were starting to, to turn around and said, you know, this is not the end. This is not the beginning of the end. This is the end of the beginning. This is where we are. There's so much more work and actions and there's so much more to do, but we're, we still haven't quite got to the point where we're like, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is how often people are going to come in. So now we're going to be doing telework agreements with all these individuals. We're not quite there yet. We're not quite ready to launch that, but that transition is coming and all the different components of it, just on the HR side, all right, who's going to provide me with a desk? And how about the desk that I took to my house? Or how about the chair? How about, how about the network? Is the network robust enough to do this kind of thing? And in facility side, we're not going to need all these different floors. What are we going to do with them? Are we going to consolidate? And in what shape? So many questions. And just also, and I, I try not to forget it, just the individual themselves, the staff themselves you now. How's that going to work out for them? How's this going to work? Now, what's the expectation for them? Am I going to come in a couple of days? Am I going to come in four or five days? And being correctional service, it varies a lot for us. Mm -hmm. If you're at an institution, there really is no hybrid work environment or model. Offenders aren't going to be like monitored from home. <laughs> People have to be there. So it's very different environment if you're an institution than if you are like at national headquarters for us, where there's much more ability and flexibility, I guess, hybrid work model. Still, you have individuals who have different responsibilities. So anyway, it's just this 
sort of going through all that, addressing people's concern, looking at how we're going to transition, it's, we're still in the midst of it. And even when we get to a point where, okay, we've given the green light, we've completed all our telework agreements, we think we're good. It's not going to end there. We're going to be dealing with this, I think, for months here as we deal with, oh, we're going to give up these floors. We're going to give up these buildings because we don't need them. We're going to consolidate here. Okay. How are you going to do that? And is it going to be assigned cubicles? No. So it's going to be free cubicles. And how do I decide that there's a cubicle for me when I decide to go in so many layers to this? So it's, it's, it's a challenging one. Yeah. It's a real challenging one. I can see that. I definitely, definitely feel a bit of that too with the department I'm with StatsCan. It's still, we're still figuring it out. I would say it's, it's not all set in stone because you've got to have that flexibility. And the good thing is a lot of my colleagues, a lot of the team, a lot of the managers are flexible. So we're able to, to work and manage that way, but it's a challenge for sure. What? New exciting projects are you working on? That's the one. That's the one, the transition. I mean, there's other big projects that we're working on. I guess the other one I'd mention is that we we're dealing with a lot of aging institutions. Some are over a hundred years old. So there's old infrastructure. And as I mentioned earlier, we're trying to deal with indigenous offenders and women offenders and aging offenders and people with mental health issues. And the infrastructure was never designed with that in mind, just never. And we've adapted as best we can. There's more that needs to be done in adapting this old infrastructure for what we need. So we've been working with finance to say, look, we're going to need some more funding here. This is tough. This is going to require more than just improvisation and duct tape and that sort of thing. So I think we're finally getting there. There's a, there's been an openness there with Ministry of Finance. So we're expecting to see more funding. And with that comes the challenge. Now, now you've got to make it count. Now you've got to do something with this additional funding that will have really have an impact with the institutions and with the offended population. So we're just at the start of that where we've identified the funding. Now I'm looking at adding more staff because I need more staff in order to make it happen. So identifying that engineers and architects and others. So early stages for that too. So that's the other probably big challenge that eventually I think will have a big impact on CSC. But again, it's all that planning and deliberation and making sure we, we've identified the bigger needs and focusing on those. That's where we're at right now. Oh, wow. And what advice would you give to listeners? Say for, especially for colleagues in the management side of and senior management, a word I like to use is humility. I mentioned teamwork, but humility, it's something I remember very early on in my military career. Somebody mentioned that to me and I never forgot about it, that nothing gets accomplished just with yourself. We all, we like to have this image of ourselves on, on the white horse, charging in and saving the day. It doesn't happen. You may think it does, but it only happens because of the efforts of others around you. And you may play an important role in setting the stage and the direction, but by yourself, there's only so much you can do. So to me, it's always keeping that in mind that there's only so much I can do. I depend so much on others to provide results, to bring in the ideas to the innovation, the thoughts to what else we can do. It reminds me of, I, I'm I saw this on LinkedIn a while ago, and I thought it was a very good thought. And I'll probably butcher it a bit, so I'll try to say it as best I can. But you don't hire smart people so that you can tell them what to do. You hire smart people so they can tell you what to do. And it really struck me, and that's what the way I try to operate, and that you don't want to be the obstacle. You want to be the facilitator. You want to be the, the guy or the person that helps move things along. And you can do that if you let people 
do their job and express themselves and bring their talents to the fore. Now, it's not about you getting the, uh, the credit. It's about getting the job done. So humility to me is a very important one. Wow. Any call to action to share with listeners? Only one. And again, again, it's my military environment. So, because when I was military, leadership was always a big thing. And when we had our, we had our own version of evaluation reports, like we didn't call them performance management plans or anything like that, or performance agreements. At the end of the year, you had a performance evaluation report and it talked about different criteria that you, that you mapped and how you did. Number one at the top of the list was leadership. And that always stayed with me in that, especially where I am now and colleagues like myself in the public service, it's about this, to me, this, this, I wouldn't say conflict, but managing your role, which is, are you a manager and are you a leader? I think there's obviously room for both, but I think the easier thing to do is to fall back on management, making sure you manage the budget and you set out your, you do your planning and you set up priorities. That's an important component. Actually, we're managing taxpayer funds. It's important. But leadership's important about setting a vision, giving people something to work towards and work for, giving them some inspiration as to why they're doing something. And I think as we transition to go back to that, as we transition to the hybrid work model, leadership, I think, is going to be absolutely critical because you're going to have, I think, individuals who are going to be thrilled with it. You're going to have individuals who are going to be like, yeah, I can make that work. You have individuals who don't want to come back to the office under any circumstances. And you're going to have to deal with that. And it's not a manager that's called for in those circumstances. I think it's a leader mm-hmm. because it's talking to his individuals, seeing what the issues are, and sometimes, frankly, making the tough call. You'd like to be able to think that, well, I'll talk to him and it'll all get sorted out. No, sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes you, you have to put your foot down and say, this is what we're going to do. And it's not pleasant. But it's what's expected of a leader. And if I could leave your listeners with anything, is I think as we're going to go through that transition, I think your leadership skills will come to the fore and I think they'll be taxed. And I think it's how you're going to succeed through it is if you exercise that proper leadership. Well, I have to say this podcast is just chock full of very important knowledge. And we talked about a very important thing, things like being deliberate in in, in your planning, especially when you have those outlooks for four or five years, you really have to be deliberate. We talked about, you can't rush things, (laughs) take the time to do things properly. I really love that takeaway from that and teamwork as well, right? How you can trust your team, especially when it comes to leadership, leading with humility, but also be able to make that tough call when you need to. But those are very important takes away that, wow, I'm just really grasping from this. And if I were to leave it up, leave it finally with my final takeaway from our discussion is just stay calm and carry on. <laughs> always, always. Things are burning around you, but you can handle this. You're good. You're good. Don't freak out. Stay calm. <laughs> Treat the fires. Wow. Thank you so much for coming to, to really share with me your knowledge. I really appreciate that you're able to do this, bring your experience, bring your, share your challenges, your successes. This has been great. And I really thank you again for coming to do this. No, I appreciate the invitation and spending the time to listen to my, my little story. So I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. It was great. Thank you. <laughs> okay.